do you ever notice unity in the church? Do you ever smile to yourself and praise God? Just because you come away from a gathering with this wonderful sense of togetherness. Do you notice unity in the church? It's easy, of course, to notice disunity and disharmony, isn't it? After all, we see it all around us. The kids and the parents arguing on the way to school. The infighting among the politicians. The brothers and sisters fighting over the inheritance. And whose turn is it really to do the washing up? Well, we see, of course, these things in the church too. But do you ever notice and see and celebrate the unity in the church? Maybe you say this morning, no, no, I don't. And, and as far as I'm concerned, there's not much of it, really. Well, listen, there's much going on in our heads, many, many thoughts and, and feelings about this matter. But here's the, here's the truth. There is plenty of unity to see in the church if we will stop to see it. We've been back in the Psalms of Ascent this week. It's a collection of psalms sung on the way of the people of God, on the way to worship God in Jerusalem. And these psalms in the Old Testament, they're like a little discipleship explored course, teaching us what it means to live and to worship God. And as we get to Psalm 133, we notice something happened that is unexpected, that's crept up on the people almost by surprise. It's like they stop on their journey and look around and sing together, hey, behold, I mean, literally, look, 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 how good and pleasant it is. When brothers dwell together in unity. You see, here's these people, and they've been going up to worship God. But as they've been going up, as it turns out, blessing has been coming down to them. Running down, falling down on this nation, on these disciples. There's unity. And this psalm means for us to stop, notice our unity, and celebrate it. I wonder why you think we don't enjoy our unity today. Maybe you say, actually, we do. We do, we do notice our unity. Or maybe you think, oh, no, actually, I, I think I keep myself away. Uh, maybe I, I have my hobby horses, so I, I struggle, you know. Uh, maybe I'm just too cynical, really. And maybe you're here at church, but actually, really, you think, I'm, I'm not really here at all, am I? Just too much going on. Or maybe we find ourselves scared and, and nervous in church. Well, however we feel about our unity as a church... Today, this psalm says, stop, notice, look, and celebrate our unity. Well, what do we need to know? What do we need to see in order for us to celebrate and enjoy our unity as a church? There's three things we're going to see in the passage this morning. And the first one is this. We need to see that unity in the church is good. Unity in the church is good. It's there in verse 1, isn't it? The psalmist says, behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. The psalm says, have you seen this? How good is this? Brothers who could dwell in conflict actually dwell in something else. They dwell in unity. There's a big family, but it's not full of infighting. Now these people are walking and journeying and working together united. Picture the scene. They're on their way to that festival, Passover, whatever it may be. And they come from all over the nation of Israel, from the furthest rural villages. So you can imagine the first family set out on their own. But as they hit the main road, more and more people join them. 
people from different places, walks of life, communities. I mean, imagine that scene you have after like a football match, if you go to those, where everyone's flooding the streets. Or in the theatre, when you go down that stairway and get out, and there's everyone, everyone there. Well, here it's not like, oh, not them, or get out of here, or oh, I just want to get out of here, or I really dislike these people. No, it's more like, hey, aren't you, um, aren't you one of my cousin's friends? Or, 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 hey, hey, great to see you. Didn't we used to do business together? Or weren't you that lady who helped me a couple of years ago when I, when I broke my ankle on the way? You see, here's this group, diverse people, and there could be conflict, suspicion, jealousy, deceit, grumbling, but there isn't. There's togetherness. And this psalm says, that's amazing. Would you look at that? And what does it say, in fact? It says, how good and pleasant it is. Good is a very big word in the Bible. Think about Genesis chapter 1. What does God say as he makes the world? He says, it is good. What is this psalmist saying? This is, this is people the way they're meant to be. This is like paradise. This is like Eden. So let me ask you this morning, do you see how significant unity in the church is? The Bible notices that God's people are united and can be united, and it prizes it, and it calls it good, a good worth pursuing and prizing and enjoying. In my last church, remarkably, I think it took a decade to realize the significance of the unity um, we had in our church family. I'm a slow learner, I guess. One moment crystallised it for us. Becca was um, pregnant with our eldest son, Henry. We were on holiday in Wales. Our waters broke early at 32 weeks. We had to do this drive to London, and we arrive in A&E, and it's chaos. And I think the next morning, we were still there, and we put a message around the church. Um, A few friends, a few friends in the church, Becca messaged. And one of them said, oh, should we put it around the church prayer link? And we hadn't even realised one existed. Yeah. Well, very shortly, we had messages from the church offering prayer and support, saying they'd come to the hospital, drop things in, which various people did at various points. And the thing that really blew us away was we started getting messages from people in Ireland and Scotland, people who'd been part of that church fellowship and felt so united that they never left the prayer link. United in Christ, sending their love and prayers. You see, trusting in Jesus brings you into a family where you can find unity. Do you see the church as positively as the Bible sees it? Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message translation of the Bible, puts it like this. It's quite a long quote, but there we go. Eugene Peterson says it like this. He says, whether we like it or not, the moment you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that is from the time you become a Christian, you're at the same time a member of the Christian church. You can no more be a Christian and have nothing to do with the church than we can be a person not being a family. Membership in the church is a basic spiritual fact for those who confess Christ as Lord. He says it's not an option for those Christians who happen by nature to be more gregarious than others. It's part of the fabric of redemption. He says God never makes private, secret salvation deals with his people. God's relationships with us are personal, true, Intimate, yes, but private, no. We are a family in Christ when we become Christians. We're among brothers and sisters in Christ. No Christian is an only child. 
Now, it does qualify that. The fact that we're a family of faith does not mean we're one big, happy family. The people we encounter as brothers and sisters in faith aren't always easy. They don't stop being sinners the moment they begin to believe in Christ. They don't suddenly metamorphose into brilliant conversationalists, exciting companions, glowing inspirations. Some of them are cranky, some of them are dull, and some of them are just tough. But at the same time, our Lord tells us they are brothers and sisters in faith. If God is my father, then this is my family. So the question is not, am I going to be part of a community of faith? But how am I going to live in this community of faith? I think he's right. As we follow Christ, will we seek and pursue and find unity in the church? Or will we persist, as I think some of us are, as I think I've been, of of being sceptical? Will we see the church as good? Some people say this, I'm sure you've heard it. Uh, People say, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. I've heard that. Do you know what that's like? That's like someone saying to me, oh, I like you, Ollie, but I don't like Becca. Sorry, you don't get to say that. We're a package deal. We're married. That's that's not an option. (laughs) The church is the bride of Christ. It's a package deal. So here's the challenge for us. Will you decide to prize unity in the church? Will you decide to see the church as good? Will you, will I, see the church as being so good and so precious that we see it as, as significant as our own families. Let me ask you this, and here's a thought experiment. If aliens came down from outer space, okay, and don't, I don't believe in aliens, okay. But if aliens came down from outer space and watched our lives, watched how we interacted as a church family, what would they think as they observed us? Would they think church is just something we do, like, you know, we watch EastEnders Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. You know, they go out on a Friday, They have a lion on a Saturday, and they go to church on Sunday. It's just something they do. Or would they see joy and delight, meetings of prayer and encouragement and outreach, brothers and sisters dwelling in unity, totally committed to each other. You look at them and you go, when the going gets tough, the, the tough gets staying together and working together and helping each other. I wonder what you think they'd see of you. This is one of the reasons this church believes in church membership. The Bible describes the church as a body, as a family, with members who are to love one another, encourage one another, do all sorts of things. And so we commit to each other to say, I'm going to be discipled here. And I'm going to encourage people here. Here's where I'm going to live out my Christian unity. Here's where unity is to be found. So let me say it again. Will you open your eyes? Will you, will you put the phone down? Wipe the dust out of your eyes and see. Because this psalm says, would you look at that? How good is that? It's good. I wonder what needs to change in your heart. I wonder what needs to change in your head to see the unity of the church as wonderful. Well, number one, we need to see unity in the church is good. Number two, we need to see that unity in the church is good, good like a gift. This is here in verse two. The psalm says this unity is good like... Well, imagine this. Imagine a temple where God has blessed it, where the temple is functioning so well and so brilliantly that when they come to uh, anoint the priest, consecrate him for his service, they don't just bring a little thimble of oil. Oil gets poured out. Here's this priest being anointed in the temple, and the oil comes and it's like down his head. And and there's so much of it, it's on his beard. And then it's on his beard, and then it's on his, his clothes. 
Like, wouldn't you say, like, that, how good is that? Like, isn't that a temple working wonderfully and amazingly? They've got bountiful oil. They're doing their job properly. You'd say, praise God for that. What a gift of God. Or imagine, says the psalmist, Mount Hermon in northern Israel. Huge mountain, snow-covered peaks. And when the Jew settles on Mount Hermon, it's not like you get wet. You get soaked, thick fog. He says, imagine that sort of Jew falling on arid Mount Sinai. Wouldn't you go, wow, the Lord's blessed us. Fertility, life, imagery. Wouldn't you say God's been at work at us? When the oil flows for the priest in the temple, when the Jew falls on Mount Zion, you say, look, verse 3, there's blessing here. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. You see, this is an abundantly working temple. And the idea was in the Old Testament that the temple and the national life of the people would be so beautiful that all the nations of the world would say, our God isn't the real deal. That's the real God. Can you see the, not only the beautiful life they share together and the amazing things that are going, but look at the unity flowing down from their religious life together. And you see it's happening here. This crowd are finding unity in going to the temple, in rebuilding the city after exile. As they go to God's place with God's priest, there is blessing flowing from Jerusalem to all people, like oil overflowing, like dew running into rivers. And this unity is a precious gift at God's command. Did you see that in verse 3? Derek Kidner, world-renowned Bible scholar and commentator, puts it like this. He says, this psalm is saying, in short, true unity, like all good gifts, is from above. Bestowed rather than contrived, a blessing far more than an achievement. That's wonderful. Now, you might say, Ollie, that's all well and good, but this imagery, I just don't really get it. Uh, This feels miles away from me. And I want to say, yeah, (laughs) it does feel miles away. But it's all fulfilled in Jesus. You see, see, Jesus is the one who was anointed with oil. I think we'll get to that in our Meals with Jesus series, if we haven't already. Jesus is the priest making the ultimate sacrifice, making us secure with God. Jesus is the place where we now meet God. He is the true temple. And he'll lead us to Zion. He'll lead us to the heavenly city. And all this a gift of God, isn't it? We've done nothing to earn it. And so just like Jesus fulfills all those things and is our saviour, this is another gift, another gift flowing from Christ. The gift of unity in the church. You see, we're not just saved to have a right relationship with God personally. We're saved and our relationship with each other is being made right too. God is making a new humanity in the church. He's building a family where the old divisions are taken down, where we're not fighting and killing each other anymore, like Cain and Abel, Jacob and Esau, but where we experience joyful unity and togetherness in the church, in what we have in Christ Jesus. So do you see the implication? We cannot, we must not despise our unity in the church. To treat it like that is to ignore the fact it's a gift of God. It's a good gift. What are we not doing absolutely throwing ourselves into appreciation of the family that Jesus has given to us? Because in it, God means to give us a gift. Now, of course, it being a gift means we can't manufacture it. You can't make it happen. It comes to us. It, it comes to us around Jesus, doesn't it? The true priest and place of blessing. It's not something you can work up, this unity. 
which I think presumably makes it even more special and even more wonderful. And don't think that just because it's a gift, it's something that you can count yourself out on, like it'll either happen or it won't. You see, this passage tells us true unity happens in the church, you see. That's where Jesus dwells by his spirit, isn't it? So don't think you'll find it anywhere, anywhere else. And don't neglect it, because there's a gift here. On Thursday, there was a walk-in clinic in East Cowes. Um, Graham tells me, who's uh, normally here, um, that if you'd been there, you'd have noticed a real traffic issue in East Cowes. And why? Who goes there? Just let that fester for a while. Sorry if you live in East Cowes. Um, why? Because there was a gift being given in East Cowes. If you were eligible, and if you could get there, you could get the COVID booster jab. Which apparently hard to get hold of these days on the island anyway. Well, look, here it is. In the Old Testament from Zion, in the New Testament from the Lord Jesus in the church, blessing flows at the command of God. If you love Jesus, why wouldn't you want to put yourself in the place where he's loved and proclaimed? What could be more important than this? What ought to distract us from receiving gifts from our saviour? Unity is like a good gift. Now, we'll be wanting to ask at this point, how can we put ourselves in a position for this unity? Well, we want to ask, what are we going to be unified in? The people of this psalm were unified as they made the main thing the main thing. They were all going to worship God. Work out how to live for him. Well, in the same way, we need to decide, what are we living for? What's the main thing? We need to decide, what is the good news that we're believing in and trusting in? What is gospel for us? What is the gospel? There are some things that are central and essential, aren't they? The cross and resurrection, the trinity, the human humanity and divinity of Christ. But other things might be hobby horses. And I guess if we have too many of those, we're going to struggle to be united. I have some hobby horses, um, things that I'm passionate about. Um, and there's some things I need to have a view on as, as a leader in the church. You've got to give a firm lead on things, haven't you? For example, I'm passionate about plural eldership. That you shouldn't have just one elder, you should have a few elders. I believe that's a biblical precedent. And I think it's so important that I probably wouldn't be part of a church or indeed be involved in the leadership of a church that didn't have it. I think it's very important. But I'm not going to say to any of you, you have to believe in plural eldership, otherwise I won't be united with you. I'm not going to say that. It's not gospel. It's important. But I think there's some freedom on that. I think it'd be silly to disagree with me, if I'm honest, but there we go. <laughs> so have you worked it out? Have you done that? What's essential to be a Christian? What's important but not essential? What are Christians free on? Grace Church has done that. Uh, if you go online, you can look at our statement of faith. You'll notice it says actually relatively little about spiritual gifts or baptism or end times theology. That's not because the leaders don't have a view on it. We do, and we'll preach very firmly on those things. But we're not going to insist on our views in order for you to be united with us. We want the main thing to be the main thing, the message of salvation we hear in Christ, that we are saved according to the authority of the Bible alone, through Christ alone, by grace alone, received through faith alone, to the glory of God alone. That's what we want to be focused on. And if you want to be focused on that, then there is wonderful unity to be had in the church. Indeed, I believe, I trust, I hope, I pray in this church too. 
Unity in the church is a gift of God. And who rejects a gift? Gifts are often undeserved. <laughs> they're not paid for by us. They're, sometimes they're unexpected and they're costly to the giver, an expression of love. This is what we have in the church. Why do we think negatively? Why do we fail to notice the good? Why do we exempt ourselves sometimes from the church? Ask yourself this morning, could it be that we've gotten into the habit of thinking of ourselves as victims in the church? Or could it be simply that we've just been isolating ourselves and running away? Well, this passage challenges us. Revisit the church. Take another look. Because number one, unity in the church is good. Number two, unity in the church is good like a gift. But look, number three, unity means eternal life. Verse number three, point number three. Really, you say, Ollie, that sounds really weird. <laughs> unity means eternal life? Well, yeah, that's what I said. Look at verse three. There's this image of blessing coming from the temple, and it says, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, as it described, life forevermore. So it turns out that at the temple, life of the age to come was breaking in. This temple that was structured like it looked like Eden, the curtain, the angels, the palm trees, the, all of this, the beauty, the gold, paradise. At that place, the life of the age to come was breaking in. You could know the one true God. And the picture in the Bible was that people could see that and come to know God for themselves. They could see heaven is breaking in there. And just as the harmony of heaven was breaking in at the earthly outpost, like these people were all united. Just as it happened there, it happens in the church. It never fully happened in Israel. But now that there's a perfect priest and a perfect savior and a perfect rescue, heaven has really broken in. What did Jesus say? Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God has come. God is calling people of every tribe and nation. He is gathering a people for heaven. And they're meeting in the earthly outpost. The earthly gathering is a picture of heaven. It is a slice of the heavenly reality. And our unity shows that's true. It shows that the life of the age to come has broken in, that we have got life forevermore, that God really is at work, that he has saved us for heaven. You see, if you want a taste of heaven, you don't need to go to the taste of India on Union Street. You need to go to church. It's good it's a gift. It's a slice of heaven. Now, some of us here this morning will be feeling guilty, I'm sure. And if that's you, I want to talk particularly to you. So everyone else, you can just switch off for a minute. Some of us are thinking, I need to kind of repent. I need to confess my sin. I haven't prized unity in the church, if I'm honest. I've harbored much negativity. And when I think about it, I think maybe that's because I've seen people as problems. Have you done that? You haven't been able to experience unity in Christ because that person needs fixing. <laughs> They're so difficult. They need us. I can't be unified with them because they need to get on the meds. They need to be cancelled. They need to get a life. They need to sort their life out. They need to fix their conversational problems. You know, if we treat people as problems, we'll never be united with them. You just, you just say they need to be fixed. And maybe that's taking you away from celebrating and enjoying unity. Maybe you feel guilty about that this morning. Maybe you've seen the church as an institution. And so the people in it, well, you haven't really thought of them as people. They're just agents performing impersonal functions. Just a handshake at the door and nothing more. Just a coffee, only so much milk. Just a smile because it's what's done. 
no real relationship. Maybe you see church as just a, a collection of contributing units, nothing personal, nothing much to celebrate. So look, they're dangerous for us, aren't they? I think if we're honest, we've, we've, we've done those things at various times. So look, you might be feeling guilty. So listen, repent and trust in Christ. See that by his grace, you have been saved. And by his grace, he's brought you into the church. So stop and see and see the goodness of the church, the gift that God is giving to us. And wonder it and celebrate it. That's what this psalm means for us to do, to repent, trust in Christ and enjoy his gifts. God is wonderfully generous to us. We take advantage of it. This morning, I'm sure some of us are on a path towards greater unity. And if that's you this morning, praise God. You might be thinking this morning, what more, based on this psalm and how it's making me feel, what more might I want to do to celebrate and enjoy the church? Well, let me ask you, have you thought about developing a positive mindset towards the church and unity in the church? I remember when I was a student, um, there were people involved in the Christian union movement. And they would say, look, we're, we're Christians from all different backgrounds. And there'd be struggles. There'd be things we find difficult with each other. And the staff workers used to say, what you need to do, and I was told this on one occasion, very clearly I remember. He said, Ollie, don't be, don't be frustrated with that. Um, think positive. Think on the good. If there's just one thing you can encourage, encourage it. Start looking for what's good and praise it. Or if you're working towards unity, maybe you could pursue that. I'm going to, enc- I'm going to start actively encouraging what is good here and, and shaping my heart that way. If you're onto a, on a path towards unity, what else might you like to do? Well, you might want to put your name in the church address book. It'd be a very simple, easy thing to do, wouldn't it? Uh, you might want to think about becoming a church member and saying, actually, I'm united here. I, I want to be, be part of this. You might, you might think, I want to be part of a growth group. You might even want to install the dreaded WhatsApp. You might think, I, I want to be stuck in here, so I'm going to make it a plan to arrive. Not at not a 10 past 11, but at 10.30, because I want to be united in fellowship. I want to get to know people, encourage them. Well, those are just some things you'll think of more, of course, that you can do to see and celebrate our unity. Some of us are on a path towards unity. Some of us might be on a path away from unity. Maybe you feel like that this morning. Well, how would you know? Or maybe you've been struggling with that psalm. That'd be this psalm. That'd be a pretty clear sign, wouldn't it? And maybe you realise you've had negative thoughts about the church for quite a long time. Haven't really spoken to anyone about them. Well, let me say, if that's you, please don't continue like that. The, the, the more we keep things quiet, <laughs> the more we'll just harbour in frustration, begrudge things, get pretty miserable. Um, you please, you know, if you're finding things hard, please come and speak. Find someone you trust. Come. And Speak to them about it. Indeed, you, you can. I know this sounds crazy, but you can speak to the church leaders and elders. We, you know, we can handle a bit of criticism. It's okay. It's absolutely fine. Um, and we, like everyone else, get frustrated sometimes. So there you go. Yeah, maybe you're on a path away from unity. Maybe you run away at the end of church. Maybe you've stopped coming to the growth group. Maybe you've stopped trying to make... Friends in the church, family, relationships. Maybe you don't see yourself as part of it. Or maybe you think you don't fit in. Listen, we've all felt this way at various times, haven't we? But I want to say it's not true, is it? The most important thing in our lives is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have him in common, don't we? We are unified in him. We are a family. 
whether we feel like it or not, in Christ, we really do have unity. And so today, hear this psalm and let it encourage you to notice and celebrate and take advantage of the unity that we have. We all need unity with our brothers and sisters for a life of a long obedience in the same direction, trusting Christ until that final day. And I think this psalm is here in this Discipleship Explored course so that we can celebrate something we badly need, our relationships with our family. Because you see, God means to bless us in it. Heaven has broken in. It's good. It's a gift. It's a sign of the life of the age to come. Do you notice it? Do you pursue it? Do you prize it? Let's stop there, shall we? And we'll bow our heads and pray. And let's take a moment in the quiet to consider how we might want to respond to the message of this psalm. Uh, Maybe there's something that's hit you particularly this morning and you just want to pray that through. Now would be a great moment to do that. And let me say, if you're a person here today who's really struggling, feeling negative about church, let me say, please don't go away without talking to someone. Let's take a moment to pray in our hearts as Steve comes to lead us in the Lord's Supper.